I got to recap this because this is worth repeating. You were on your way to audition for the role of Joshua, Gary Busey's role in Lethal Weapon. You were late to the audition because the song... I still believe came on the radio and you were sitting there to listen to the just as I was parking the car. That's incredible. That might be the best story I've ever heard (laughs) in my life. That's incredible. I like all my favorite buzzwords so much. (laughs) Welcome to buzz in the tower, a podcast dedicated to the movies of the 1980s. Our mission is to take you on a most excellent adventure through time. Buzz in the tower is so much more than a podcast. It's the map to One-Eyed Willie's treasure. And all you have to do is sit back, listen, and repeat after me. Klaatu! Barata! <clears throat> Buzz in the Tower answers the questions you didn't even know you had. Like who would win in a fight? John Rambo or Hans Gruber? Or who is dreamier? Jake Ryan or Marty McFly? So as we rank, debate, and offer fresh takes of the best of the best from 80s cinema, please remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and listen to a podcast once in a while, you could miss it. Don't forget to subscribe to Buzz in the Tower on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For bonus content, you can find us on all social media channels by searching our handle at Buzz in the Tower. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us with topics you'd like us to talk about, visit our website, buzzinthetower.com. That's B-U-Z-Z-N, thetower.com. Buzz in the Towers brought to you by Verde Media. Max, I couldn't be happier with the way our website looks. So good. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at our website yet, you need to right away. These guys, website development, online marketing, they are outstanding. Am I exaggerating at all? It is so choice. If you have the means, I highly recommend having them build you one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, look, they're the best of the best. And working with John, uh, their owner, a self-admitted 80s martial arts movie nerd was an absolute joy. Is that why you said the best of the best? That is why I said yeah. that was like, tip of the hat to John. Um, they're more than our sponsor. They're our partner. And if you are looking to build a website, they are the group to go to. Uh, find their link on our website and check them out, Verde Media. Today's episode, the Tim Capello interview. As Tina Turner toured and performed, she introduced us to a golden gem of a saxophone player by the name of Tim, Timmy to his friends. From there, Tim went to Miami Vice, Hearts of Fire, Tap, all types of opportunities to perform and act. But one decision defined him for generations to come. In 1987, Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys gave the world its first broad taste of the greased-up, shirtless, muscular saxophone player known to all of us as Sexy Saxman. Often imitated, never duplicated, Tim Capella set the stage for what would be an ongoing persona of what a saxophone player is and what a saxophone player should be. Lisa Simpson, Kenny G, Bill Clinton all did their best. But when we think of saxophone, we only think of one man. Today on Buzz in the Tower, we are honored to have the opportunity to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Tim Capello, and talk everything from Tina Turner to the time he was almost in point break. I'm Mo Shapiro, and joining me for the first time, the rock star to my boardwalk beach bonfire, Tim Capello. And with that, oh, and I guess Max Sanders is here too. I still believe! 
So, Max, I know I teased this up. You didn't tease much. I teased a little bit because you never know. We've had our hearts broken before by celebrities. and this We've been dumped a lot. We have. We've been left <laughs> at the altar a couple times. but uh, Mostly your fault. Max, I'm, I'm pretty fired up. This is, uh, this is a great first one. Uh, Tim Capello from The Lost Boys, the sexy sax man. Welcome to Buzz in the Tower. Oh, man, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, we're the, the pleasure's all on this side of the table. We're pinching ourselves right I'm now. I'm geeked out. <laughs> <laughs> this is unique because Max and I usually do nothing but talk, but we want to really give you some space to talk about the Tim Capello story, obviously the Lost Boys, some other work you did in mm -hmm. the 80s. But I wanted to start off talking about something that we're both really excited about. You've got an upcoming show in Redford, Michigan that Max and I have bought tickets to and are coming to see. I want to plug it. I want to give a shout out to it. The Redford Theater. Now, Tim, is this your first time ever going to the Redford Theater in Michigan? You know, I might be lying if I said it's the first time. I've been to Detroit so many times and the Detroit area so many times with different people, Peter Gabriel and Ringo and Tina a million times. So I'm thinking yes, okay. but I am a total, total like washout when it comes to remembering <laughs> where I've been. I won't forget this and I won't forget this podcast because... I'm not just hired help that gets on a bus, that gets on a plane, that goes to a hotel, that goes over to a sound check, that then goes back and then goes right away from the show to another plane. So now when I tour, I have a one-man show and I love to have like my wife come with me and we turn them into little holidays, places we've never seen. Awesome. You know, I, I have to say it's, I made a promise. This is the first true temptation to cheat on my wife <laughs> because I promised her that I will never go to the Motown Museum without her. Oh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, especially, I know you're such a, a passionate musician and Detroit itself is just so entrenched with music history and the theater you're performing at, the Redford Theater. And thank you. Big shout out to Steve um, for connecting us with the band that you're going to be performing with. And mm -hmm. this theater is so cool. Uh, built in 1928. It's been renovated. It's been kept alive all these years. A good buddy wow. of mine, Joel, premiered a film at it. And you will be there on Friday, November 19th. If you have not bought yes. tickets and you're listening to the show, go buy them right now. And you're going to be with Sirius Moonlight, a David Bowie tribute band. So getting David Bowie and Tim Capello in the same night, it's uh, <coughs> it's peanut butter and jelly. How do you say no to that? Yeah, someone got in your head, basically, and you're like, let's create most fantasy. This sounds fantasy. like, yeah, this is like most <laughs> fantasy lineup right now, right? Well, so. you know... You you know what's funny is obviously because Bowie was a saxophone player as well. Oh, I had no so idea. 
Oh, yeah, like on certain tracks. Go onto his Wikipedia page and you'll find that just like Van Morrison, he played saxophone on a lot of those things that you thought he hired out. He's a goblin king. I know, he can do yeah, anything. I know. So <laughs> Max always makes fun of me because uh, I'm a huge fan of Bowie in large part because of the movie The Labyrinth, which is one of my favorite 80s sure. films. But of course. I'm, I also love his music, enough. so it works great. So the other thing the Redford Theater does, which is very cool, is they, they play a lot of throwback 80s movies. So when you're not going to see a David Bowie tribute band with Tim Capello, you can check out they're playing nine to five steel magnolias, the karate kid around Christmas. They'll do national lampoons, Christmas vacation. They'll do die hard, which is obviously a Christmas. We have film. to go for die hard. Yeah. yeah. So I have to say that we're ecstatic to be connected with you. We wanted to take time at the beginning to make sure all of our Michigan fans, cause we got a lot of them know about the show. Mo and Max will be at the show. Come party with us. I will be not wearing a sleeveless shirt, but in, in I will in, be. Max will, <laughs> but I know you better. I, so, Tim, we'll have to talk about this. I, I've been working out for years, and my biceps are maybe a tenth the size of yours. Is the secret the saxophone? If I just worked out with a saxophone, would the biceps <laughs> come in? <laughs> you know what? You know, what's, you know what is true? Certainly not on your arms, but it is a tremendous help with keeping your six-pack together. Oh, yeah. So Max, I don't have one of those. My, my six-pack has never formed. Yeah. I have a keg. My six-pack is in the fridge, <laughs> and it's never going to be taken out. have a keg. I like that. That's really funny. He's got, he said, I got a keg. <laughs> <laughs> so before anything else, are there other projects? Like I know the other thing I would add to our fans, and I, Tim, we had a, a pre-production meeting where we had a chance to talk to you. And I just have to tell you, Max and I walked away with the exact same feeling, which is you're such a nice guy. We really were ecstatic that you were so kind and so nice. So I would love for our fans, if you're looking for a holiday gift, go to Cameo right now. And getting Tim, to get in, get in Tim on Cameo to say to your wife, to your boyfriend, to your buddy, you know, Merry Christmas. And I still believe is like the best <laughs> gift you could ever give anyone for the holidays. Oh, I'll so put it sweet. out there right Thank now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I love doing those. The only part that I don't love, there's a tiny percentage of the population that wants me to advertise their band. And then they'll say, they'll try to sort of sneak it in on me. It's our drummer's birthday, so could you please say <laughs> yeah, yeah. that our our new album... Yeah, Bert, we're celebrating his birthday Thursday night at uh, the Palace. <laughs> that's and exactly right. For $50. And that's right. So I just say, no, that ain't going to fly at all. Right. But I love doing them... You know, for and and what's amazing is obviously there's birthdays, there's anniversaries, there's all Christmas, there's all the, the the big holidays, but so many times, and this really gets me. Somebody just says like, "I love this person so much. They've been so good to me. I just want to thank them for something." Or they've just been my rock throughout these years. And to me, a shout out like that of love is just such a you know obviously. Let's not beat around the bush. You do these things because it's another nice little revenue stream. That's that, why. That's why Max know, is Max is thinking about doing an OnlyFans page for that reason. I've been I've been trying to get him on there. No, Buzz in the Tower uh -huh. tattoo fans on my back. <laughs> I want to do that. A thousand dollars, you tattoo your name on my back. 
Uh, no, but 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 Tim, I, I I mean, this is in line with kind of who we, in our brief time together, know you to be. It, it sounds like a beautiful thing that you get to be a part of these moments with these people. And I got to tell you, our fans are no different. We have a good base of fans who, when we release that we did an interview with you, are going to lose their minds. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Oh, there's, one, right. there's one in particular. There's one in particular. So <laughs> I think now, unless, is there anything else that I didn't cover that you want to let our fans well, know about or a web page, Facebook, anything? Sure. Well, obviously people can find me just by Googling Tim Capello Facebook and they'll get my Facebook page and they can always stay up. A lot of people would say it's an outmoded and outdated platform. It still does everything that I want. And if anybody ever wants to know what I'm up to or what I'm doing, I keep that right there. And plus, there's so many old TV shows that I've done. There's so many Miami uh, Vice things. Miami Vice. <laughs> when I used to play at CBGB's with my band, I have that all that stuff on there. The Equalizer. So it is something that um, I I just try to keep up on that. Now, are you guys like on like? Every platform because oh, so that's what just, everybody has to do. I, I was just going to tell you, if, if you weren't on those platforms before, coming on to Buzz in the Tower, you are now on those platforms. because, <laughs> well, and, and also, if you made a TikTok channel of just you eating veggie burgers, Max and I would subscribe. We would we would be into it. I, 100%. I'd watch it. Absolutely. But yeah, we're, that's funny. we're on everything. I mean, because here's, here's the thing, and we find this to be fascinating too. Our entire podcast is based on 80s movies, and we pick this genre- um, because we have a passion for these films. We love these films. But what really yeah. what really blows our mind is when we start reaching out to fans and talking with them. I mean, there are people out there, whether it's talking about a random movie like One Crazy Summer or when we get to the Holy Grail films like The Lost Boys, where people really lose their ever-loving minds and have these incredible memories. <laughs> and, you know, I guess that kind of nicely dovetails into the Tim Capella story. We definitely want to talk about 80s Tim Capella, but I am, I'm just curious. Sure. You're so unique. And the idea of the sexy sax man, the slick back hair, the sleeveless shirt, the muscles. Purple leather pants. Yeah, you developed and built something that has been, and we'll talk about this later on, whether it's Saturday Night Live or whether it's the, the Sergio skit or whether it's the sexy sax man prank that the guy was doing in the mall. But sure. that's all almost like the the second birth. I want to get to the first birth. And, and I also have to ask, we've been calling you Tim, but in your emails, you always sign off as Timmy. And I just got to know because I feel like we're best friends now. Should I be calling you Tim or Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? T Tina never called me anything but that. And everybody does now. So here's <laughs> the, the story is I am Tim Capello. On my Facebook page, I am Tim Capello when I go to a convention. I am Tim Capello when I play a gig because the Lost Boys put everybody's name on the front of the album and they never consulted me. <laughs> how could they get it? So it's funny. I'm in my head. I'm like, how could they not consult you? But at the time, I'm sure you were thinking the same thing that they were, which is, where is this even going to end up? I mean, did did you have a sense? I'm jumping around, Tim, but I can't help it as much. I, I want to give you, I do want to hear how you got to the Lost Boys. But since you brought up the Lost Boys, I feel no, like no, it's okay I, It's okay to jump in there. We'll just be psychedelic for a little while and go wherever it goes. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's start with, how'd you get there? 
educate Max and I on how you made your way to the murder capital of the world. Right. I was playing in Tina Turner's band, and I played in her band from 1984 to 1999. So that's 15 years. That's wonderful. I just, I can't, Tina Turner is such an icon and a legend. That must have been such an incredible experience for you. Oh, geez. You know, to learn, I learned so, so much. But it sometimes it wasn't really easy getting there. <laughs> oh, sure. She was a, a very stern boss and she knew how to get the best out of her band. And if you didn't, you know, she's such a genius that if you didn't always rise to her heights, she really let you know about it. At C-Max, I, I, <laughs> I'm not the only one who does that to people. <laughs> Tina Turner's scary. That's right. right. You're scary too. I'm scary too. There you go. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, who did she? Who did she learn how to run a band from? Ike. Ugh. Good old Ike. (laughs) Right. So don't ever call me Ike (laughs) Max. She was. She was sort of in the middle of that. She knew she didn't want to be that way. Right. But on the other hand, there was nothing about her. Like in other words, Peter Gabriel or Carly Simon or Billy Crystal, or any of these people that I played with, they would just sort of sit next to you. You'd just be sitting, and you'd be having a conversation. That never once happened with Tina. So Tina Tina's a general. Was, yeah. Tina was your my boss. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's, what, that's the way she ran it. And it makes perfect sense. If you feel that you need that control, you're not going to start getting super chummy with your employees. No boss does that. It may sound a little stern, but I think that we all got a lot out of the fact that that's the way she ran her band. Well, plus you the results speak for themselves, right? Like you can... You might think the chef is a little bit crazy in the kitchen until you eat the meal yeah. and you realize it's the best thing you've ever eaten. Well, and yeah, good a decade point. and a half too. Yeah. I mean, like you obviously thrived under that too. Right. She is not a, you know, I came out of the New England Conservatory of Music. So I, I kind of, at first I was a little resentful that there was somebody being very stern with me about something that she didn't know the language of. She can't tell you, oh, don't give me a sharp five on that chord. I just, and, and take the third out. You know, she she couldn't say that to you. So you had that more traditional music education background where she had more right. of the just raw talent. You know, this is Tina. But she was always right. She yeah. was always <laughs> right. She might say, she might say, you know, that's a little too green. That's a little too blue. You'd have to figure out what she meant, but how was she speaking? She was speaking in a human way. She was speaking in an emotional, human way about the way that music affects people. So she'd say, I don't want that feeling of like shades of green. I don't want that feeling of flowing water. I want it to feel like a little more choppy. I want it to feel like it's a little more rock and roll, add a little more grit to it. And she might say that in in a strange way. So I used to kind of get a little snotty about it (laughs) and say, well, if you can't tell me what to do, what am I trying to... And then I just realized, I just, I gave up and I said, I'm gonna figure out what she's saying. And once I did that, that's when I started to learn. 
But that's that's incredible because you learned to speak her language, and that explains why you guys had such a great relationship with each other. Because why would you ever need to leave? And from her perspective, you understood her, so why would she ever want you to leave? Exactly. I mean, that there was there was a way that we got to, especially because I started. At a certain point, I started singing a lot on her records, uh, singing singing backgrounds. We had a really good blend together. So once I started doing that, then it even got more human because she would say, now, I'm going. <laughs> and when I come back tomorrow, if this isn't just like this, don't get too funky with this. Don't get too... And she would just describe what she didn't want, you know what I mean? And so that was even more human, right? What's more human than the human voice? So once I started doing that, like on the on the on the soundtrack to What's Love Got to Do with It, I sang all the Ike parts. The thing about it was they it was like I said you you can't you, you can't put my name down as the as singing these parts. You, you can't have you know, a, a white person singing Ike's parts, it, you know, but she said, sounds good to me. So, <laughs> so then what they did was they just took my name off it and put Lawrence Fishburne's name on it. No, you're all kidding. That no way. Yeah, I didn't know all that. that stuff is mine. So basically had that not happened, it's very possible that you would have been in the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> So I assume the way that you're explaining it, it sounds like you're this classically trained musician. You have an incredible amount of talent. You understand how to read and write music. You're singing, you're playing the saxophone. Tina's getting you more and more exposure. And then did you get the the itch to get into the acting and, no. and that piece of it? Or how did that come across? When Tina did those two videos for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, what a movie, yes. what a movie, what a movie. <laughs> She's so good in it, so hero. good. Oh, what a movie. Yeah, We Don't Need Another Hero, of course, was a big hit. Absolutely. But then the one that really got me the most attention was a song called One of the Living, which was the one where she had the guitar and we were in a an abandoned Philadelphia prison. So check out One of the Living and then you'll see what Joel Schumacher saw and then he just went, oh, this would be, this would be good. This is, I, I want this in my movie. So Schumacher reaches out to you and says, hey, I'm about to change your life forever. Or did he no, even, did he even know at true. that point? When those videos came out, um, agents started asking me to go on calls. Casting directors started asking me to go on calls and audition. And so I was at the Warner Brothers lot auditioning for the Gary Busey part in Lethal Weapon. No, no way. way. That's incredible. <laughs> How have I never heard that Joshua? story before? Oh my God. Have you told this story before? Because I feel like this is breaking I news. have told this story before. Oh. So we're sitting there. Now first, th this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but I really am not making it up. I, I, I don't even think there's any possible way that <laughs> I don't, you know, that I sort of mixed up two things in my head. I was a little late for the audition because as I was driving onto the lot, I heard a song by The Call called I Still Believe. No way. 
No and I way. Loved it so much. Did you have it? Have you ever loved a song and you sat you sat in the car to finish it until out until it was Absolutely. over, so they could tell you who did it and whatever. So you were. Let me. I got to recap this because this is worth repeating. You were on your way to audition for the role of Joshua, Gary Busey's role in Lethal Weapon. You were yes. late to the audition because the song. I still believe came on the radio and you were sitting there to listen to the just as I was parking the car. That's incredible. That might be the best story I've ever heard in my life. That's incredible. I like all my favorite buzzwords so much. I needed to know who did it. You know what I mean? I really was very moved by it. I needed to know who did it. And I, and, and I went right out after that audition and bought the cassette. So I got in, obviously I did not get the part. (laughs) Did they make you try um, to do the uh, lighter on the arm thing? <laughs> yeah, your- right. It, <laughs> I, you know what? The, the psychotic killer thing, people kept sending me out on a lot of those things. And I'm just not like that. Tina used to say, just remember, you're the tough guy. Don't be like waving at people saying, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your applause. You're the tough guy. And that is who I want on my stage. So don't screw with me. But, but Tim, but Tim but butterfly effect, and I hate to—I mean, hindsight's twenty-twenty. But had you not listened to that song, and had you got the role in Lethal Weapon, it is reasonable to assume that down the road you would have been Pappas in Point Break, and then, <laughs> yeah. this, and then the conversation that we'd be having right now is that Max and I would be moving into your house with you, and we would be full-time <laughs> security, and we would be. Very unhealthy stocking levels because that's no that that's, that's wild. Funny. What an incredible story! Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that. that's, who, that's incredible. And who would I be? I would be a total psychotic. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he's out there. He's definitely out there. <laughs> so, oh man, that's great. As I'm sitting there, and there's a few of us sitting around, a guy who I've never met before walked by where we were in the outer room, the waiting room. And he said, you play with Tina Turner, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, come with me. I never met him before. He said, come with me. Took me into Joel Schumacher's office. Uh, I went in. Joel said, oh, Timmy, would you like to uh, sing, sing a song, perform a song in a movie that I'm doing? We shook hands on it. I said, sure, I'd love that. And there, it was a 30-second interview and nothing else was said. Then he, and then he sent me the song, and I was like, oh, I know this song. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he picked the song? No way. I thought you picked the song, I would think. No, he picked the song. Oh, he he picked every song. Joel is so musical. He was so musical, right? Oh, you got to remember, Car Wash, DC Cab. Yeah, and, yeah. All those sort of black exploitation movies that he did – all those movies that he was set designer on and production designer on, all those movies were very musical things. Yeah, St. Elmo's right? Fire. Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So he sent it to me. I knew the song already. I sat, um, which was really interesting because I guess they were not figuring that I would know it. So a friend of mine who I had played in Eric Carmen's band, All By Myself. Oh, we had played by in, nice. <laughs> of course. That's yeah. the one, baby. He he produced the track and we were friends already. So I walked in and it was like, oh, Richie, how you doing, man? He says, yeah, let's, let's knock this out. So I went in and he was never, ever 
expecting to get a take. So they sat me in the control room with those enormous speakers that people used to use, the ones that hung up on the walls, and they were like three feet by three feet. So they had these enormous speakers. So I'm sitting there, no headphones, singing into a Shure 57, $100 mic, sitting on a stool, and they wrote out the words, but I didn't need them. So it literally, if there's sort of an interesting sound to the vocal, it's because the track was coming at me and we never used any headphones. Oh, wow. So yeah, you were going off of just what I was going off of them blaring the thing because they never, they were trying to figure out, they thought, oh, what key will we put this in? Let's find out. Let's get an idea of where he wants to do this. And you you just crushed it right out the gate. There was no need to. It was literally, literally one take. It took me more time, probably twice as many as as many minutes, to come up with all those answers. Still believe, bah, bah, bah. you know those. <laughs> oh that man, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. I was going to ask you to give us a taste, but I didn't know if it was uh, if it, it was appropriate or not. So long. <laughs> it took much longer because there was no saxophone on the original. So I had to try to figure out how to sneak some saxophone on it. And there really weren't even any solos or anything. So we had to figure out where to put solos, where to put little answers, you know, and that's how it worked. And then it was just done. I did it. It took maybe two and a half hours from start to finish. He said, no, I don't see why we don't use it. They didn't really feel like the leakage from the speakers. They kind of thought it gave it a good, interesting sound. And the fact that it was a $100 microphone, they sort of thought, oh, it kind of sounds a little different. No one would ever do that. (laughs) And they certainly would never use it. And yet, Joel didn't care. He just seemed to have his finger right on the pulse of it. He was like, he knew what songs he wanted. He knew what he wanted to, you know, he knew in that concert footage, he knew the vibe. He knew what I was going to do. And, and again, the actual filming of it took two hours. At that time, the people that were a part of that movie, everyone from Corey Feldman to Joel Schumacher, these were people that were recognized and there was this energy and you had this youth. What was it like now? How old were you at the time that this was being filmed? 33. So you were the senior statesman around all these teams, right? <laughs> yeah, they were all like 14 and stuff. The the very latest. I mean, I was I was kind of up there with Diane Weist. Who's one of our favorites, by the way. We we like yeah, love her. Me She's too. one of our favorites. I managed to just sort of sneak in. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was, I'm a middle-aged guy. Already, well, you look, so. I mean, you, in the movie, I mean, even today you've taken care of yourself. You, I mean, Christ, I'm 42 and I look like I'm 70. So you're, <laughs> you're doing better than I am. But, and now a quick break from talking with Tim Capello to give a little bit of love to our sponsors. Buzz in the Towers brought to you by Capsiva Pain Relieving Gel. And I can tell you that if you're sitting at a table across from a guy who has to go to the bathroom every 25 minutes, you're going to get arthritis. You're going to get muscle soreness, psoriasis. Um, Capsiva is all natural. It's okay. (laughs) Capsiva is all natural and designed to increase blood flow for the healing and pain relief process. 
Uh, try it for free at capsiva.com. That's C-A-P-S-I-V-A.com. And uh, you know, Max, I'm an old man and I need this kind of stuff. It works. It's, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, it's like Wilford Brimley and Cocoon. You know what I mean? It's, you feel revitalized. It, that's exactly what it's like. Buzz in the Tower is also brought to you by Lindsay Larravee Photography. Uh, if you have checked out our website, hopefully you have. You've seen the amazing photos that were put up there. Lindsay, so good. Yeah, Lindsay and her team did all of those. She teased my hair. She was, she was fun to work with. Uh, just made the whole experience really exciting for us. She has been taking photos of families, children, and smiles in Metro Detroit since 2017. Um, she loves what she does, and it shows. She works with her clients, catches everything in the moment, and adores watching the connections and relationships unfold in front of her lens. If you mention Buzz in the Tower, you get $25 off any family session in 2021. You can find Lindsay on our website under our sponsors page. Uh, check her up and get some work done. She is fantastic. Yeah, she made us look good. She made anyone look good. I don't have a better way to ask this without sounding like just a gushing fan, but what was Diane Weiss like? What was Corey Feldman like? What were these people like? They seem, it seems like such a wild place and circumstance to be. For you, was it just kind of reliving that teen time of your life or what, what was, what was it no, like? No, no, it was a gig. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Professionalism. What a pro, what yeah. a pro, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I was, at the time, I was on the road with Tina, so I had to jump oh, yeah. off the you were tour. seeing crazy, yeah, you were seeing crazy. <laughs> Go Never and mind. do this and then run right back to San Diego or wherever we were. I didn't give it a thought. And, of course, if you guys are movie buffs, the one thing you know is, that everything you ever do that you're filming takes a, at least 10 times as long as they say it's going. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you got it. Right? Yeah. Anybody that's out there listening to this that's been in any way associated with uh, any sort of filming or even if it's on a sort of uh, you know semi-pro level or whatever, takes a long time. It takes a really long time. So this, because that same crowd was there every night. So in other words, those people weren't extras. No, they were real people from the town. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. 2,000 of them. I think there's 2,000 people from Santa Yeah, they Clara were there. They were there every night because <laughs> there was a concert or a film That's there awesome. every night. Did they it have were... the energy of a real concert? Oh, man. Who's the DP on the movie? Uh, is Mike Chapman? So he was kind of like a big guy. And I didn't know that he was the, the, the director of photography. All I saw was this big dude throwing people off the stage. So that was the only problem that we had is that every night, part of the thing that they would do is they would just go crazy and they were stoned out of their minds and they were just dancing. And it was like this... It was just, you know, th that headbanging, people think to themselves, oh, that's some sort of weird, like, thing where maybe Joel went, oh, maybe we should have them headbang. No way at all. That was all organic? They, <laughs> There's they a unique all, energy to the scene. There really is. They just do that every single night. And some of them probably do that. They were just picking up whatever was there. And, and with the exception of people jumping on the stage, there really was, there was, I remember, uh, this is what I remember. We had to wait till it got dark, obviously. So I remember doing one run through with a choreographer who basically just said to me, okay, start in the middle, go to your left, then go over to your right and then end back in the middle. 
So that's that's all the the advice that she gave. So it was freestyle, basically, like the fist pump and all that. That was just you, just on the fly. That's just what I do. Yeah, but you, just I, the I way say, I feel. All, you're borrowing everything. I mean, you're you're coming to the party with stage presence. This is just you performing. You, you've already been performing, so you just were doing what you would do. If I went to go I see do it you every perform, night. yeah, exactly, exactly. Even before the Lost Boys, that's what Tim Capella was like on stage with Tina Turner, right? Well, yeah, I mean, and 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 people sort of talk a little bit about the purple pants and the chains and stuff like that. That, that was something I just went to the hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, $1.69 a yard and just would clip it. And it, it was sort of like a, a more masculine idea of a stripper's necklace that I had seen. Oh, interesting. And yeah, they're, they're, at the time, strippers would wear these sort of big, sort of collar-looking things with rhinestones and stuff. And they would always have like a bunch of stuff like curtain material, like hanging, you know, <laughs> rhinestones hanging. And I said, oh, why don't I do like a... Because there's actually a movie. Okay, so you guys are 80s movies buffs. Two things that I have to say. Um, you probably haven't heard of these movies. Oh, man. Oh, we're excited. <laughs> we're both on the edge of our seat. Because <laughs> if we haven't, we'll go watch it tonight. I hope I did. Okay. The first one was called Rolling Thunder. Nope. Nope. stumped us. Congratulations. So it was the guy who I told you who brought me into Joel Schumacher's office became my music publisher. So he wanted to see if I could write a song so he would get these like really crappy little movies and he would use it as a way to audition singers, players, writers and find out if they had any talent and if they could work quickly. So Rolling Thunder, I went by the name of Anthony Della Reese. And I like it. <laughs> so everything on that, there were like four of us that did like maybe four tunes a piece. And so that, it, it is kind of, I think you guys will like it. It's it's definitely one of the worst movies ever made. Well, we yeah. we, so, we call ourselves uh, Trash Pandas. Yeah, which is give us that word, garbage. Yeah, another yeah. word for uh, raccoons because <laughs> we love garbage. I definitely think that you'll enjoy it. But, I, but how about a oh, movie, the second movie that was so bad that it literally killed the director. Oh, this is a good trivia question. Ah, uh, God. A movie that killed the and director. It's, it's, uh, it's not just me saying it because I was in it. I, I saw it happen. He, he came in looking fine. Then he started walking with a cane. Then he was walking with a walker. Then he was on crutches. Then he was in a wheelchair. Then he rode us all... Uh, um, letters of apology on how bad the mu the movie was, and then he was dead. And so, if you look it up, it's pretty well common knowledge that this movie and he was a very good director that fell into the trap of trying to make a rock and roll movie. Oh my God! Is this? Are you talking about Hearts of Fire? Yes, Hearts of Fire. You know this? The minute he said, I, I was thinking, I remember reading a story about, like, because yeah. this had Bob Dylan in it. This had. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, Richard uh, uh, Marquand. Uh, uh, Rupert Everett. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh my yeah, god, yeah. I love Rupert Everett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is I, see, and that's funny too because for you and I, this yeah. would this is not a garbage movie. I mean, it's not great, but it's not. You and I like movies that are worse than this. You, yeah, it's it's a good, it's decent, it's a decent movie. Well, it's got it a big <laughs> right. It, it's got a. It had a big budget, and you've got to remember the guy who directed it. I think his movie before that, or a couple before that, was Jagged Edge, which was a really well received. You know, he had a great reputation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and he just made that mistake of thinking that you could just take rock and roll as a subject and that would be fine. You, you know, the only good rock and roll movie that was that was really true and that every musician can relate to is Spinal Tap. That's exactly yeah, well, the way... Yeah, no question. The, <laughs> that's exactly the way... The music business is. It's exactly the way. Everybody's always sort of, you know, wondering how they're doing on the charts. Everybody's slipping. Everybody's getting canceled. It, it, it's it, Things are always going wrong on stage. And that, like everybody that I, you know, took to see it, all my musician friends were like, this is so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in fairness, I actually think that the reason I don't think that movie killed him. He also directed Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and I think Shut up. I think Return of the Jedi, if you look at the the whole scope of the trilogy, yeah. that was a little bit of a bummer. Like it's it stands up better now with compared to the others. Return of the Jedi rules. Ewoks. You love Ewoks. Max loves Ewoks, but that's wild. And and the fact that you love so it's so funny, Tim. Because Max and I said we might throw a little 80s movie trivia at you, and you, and, you, and you warned us. You're like, guys, I'm not the biggest movie guy in the world, but here you are. Left and right. Left and right. You're stumping us on stuff. And you love This is Spinal Tap, which is one of our favorites. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, Chris Guest, that was, it's just, you know, he, he was a good friend of Billy Crystal's, so I got to know him. And I and if you ever hear, have you ever heard of a, a um, an old radio show from the 70s called the National Lampoon Radio Hour? No, but we're, we're both big National Lampoon uh, fans, so I'm actually surprised I've sure. never heard of the radio hour. That's very so, cool. So the radio hour was Chris Guest, Billy Crystal, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, oh, everybody, <laughs> everybody basically from Saturday Night Live came from the National Lampoon Radio Hour. Oh my God, it's like my fantasy all the comedy writers, lineup. All the writers, all, all everything. So Chris Guest does these amazing, amazing imitations of like Neil Young and, you know, all this stuff. But there was a guy... And this is, nobody knows who he is because he drank himself to an early grave. But his name is Tony Scherr, S-H-E-R, something like that. And he could do the most amazing James Taylor, Neil Young. There oh, is cool. a thing that he does that I swear, if you guys are not urinating halfway through, <laughs> you had listen, you you had us both at Christopher Guest. I mean, I the Princess Bride, Count Rugen, Spinal. He, he's married Spinal to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, that's the coolest thing that ever. Is, right, Lee, yeah, that's, that's exactly true. right. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's it's one of those amazing, tra tragic, wonderful things. Like, what could the world have been? Right. Burnt so if bright that he burnt out early. Stay. Yeah, age of yeah. twenty-seven. Yeah. Hendrix, yeah. Joplin. Well, we. Right. I, it's. It, this is. 
Max, I, I almost wish we had done a Zoom only so you could see the look on Max and my face as we were going over this. Yeah, so, Mo was mouthing to me. It's I, like, am, I can't believe, I can't believe this. this. And then I'm mouthing, I still believe. <laughs> so, Tim, you do The Lost Boys. And I'm, I'm curious, at the time, every single famous actor or musician, they always get asked this, whether it's producing an album or whether it's you know acting in a film. Did you have any sense of what this movie would become. Cause initially it was a little bit of a commercial flop, but it is, it is widely regarded as a cult classic and it's kind of resurfaced. Oh gosh. I mean, if you really think about it, the lost boys is responsible for Buffy, the vampire slayer, the idea of these sure. like teen kind of vampire mm-hmm. movies uh, mm-hmm. the, with some humor. Right. And, right. Yeah. What's the right. crappy one that we've, that I've never seen that I always joke about? Uh, oh, Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. I never watched Twilight. <laughs> right. But, Were they, I, I've heard that they, Sparkle or something. Yeah, there's glitter. Yeah, there's glitter. I mean, <laughs> and now he's you, Batman. Tim, so. did you did you have any sense either while filming it or after seeing it that you were like, all right, this is this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm this is I like having this on my resume. This is a good thing. Zero. <laughs> I love it. Zero. It's so awesome. And I'll tell you why. We literally were only filming for like two two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So we started when it got dark. I think. We did one take of the band. Then we did one take where the band was in back of Star and Michael. You know, where you'd see little pieces of us or whatever. Yeah, they flip back and forth. Yeah. Exactly. So there was, as I recall, it was one take and one take. And Joel just went, seems good to me. We were back in Corey Hames' room having a party by 1130. Oh, that must have been wild. (laughs) That must have been absolutely wild. It was amazing. You know what? Maybe I've told the story too much, but it is one of my just like the most amazing things that ever happened to me. And it just stays with me and always will. Well, I don't care if you've told it too much or not. You got to tell it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically everybody that was on the show. So like, in other words, I never met Diane Weiss because she wasn't there that night. She, she wasn't in that scene. Yep. She was right next to the scene, but she wasn't on the boardwalk at the concert. So it was really Jamie and... Um, Jason Patrick. Uh, Jason Patrick. You know, they're real... And, and Corey. So what happened was we were all just having a ball, dancing around, playing music really loud in this Holiday Inn. And there's, of course, the obligatory knock on the door everybody knows it's the cops. Yeah. And Corey Haim looked at us and said, watch this. He went to the door and he wrapped those cops around his little finger. (laughs) But like, they were like, he was like, oh, officers. When I was a kid, there was a a show called Leave it to Beaver. And there was Eddie Haskell. Eddie Haskell. He did this Eddie Haskell thing. And the cops had their arms around him. He was just that he would, they were laughing. He had so much charisma that they, the cops wound up going, okay, just try to keep it down a little bit. And then he closes the door and goes, crank it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I I like to tell the story because it, it was this incredible talent to have. And yet, of course, it became this horrible double-edged sword. 
because he could wrap anybody around his little finger. And when that becomes who you are and what you can do, there's no limits. You can just, you know, you can just get whatever you want out of whomever you want and have them laughing and smiling as they hand it over to you. It's real tough when you're that young to not have boundaries. He's like 14 at the time. I mean, you already don't have boundaries because you're famous and because you're rich and because you're a movie star. Then thrown to the mix that you're also charming. That's a lot. That's definitely a lot. Yes, that was, you know, that was, he was, he had so so much charisma you just loved him instantly he had no clue i mean which still blows my mind that i mean i guess it doesn't blow my mind because we mentioned this lightly you finish that movie you're in a couple more movies um did any of the other movies you know kind of do anything for you i know tap was one of them hearts of fire that tap was a great movie well you got to be around sammy davis jr that must have been incredible oh my god God, Sammy and Sandman and Jimmy Slide and and is just like Gregory. These people were the Sammy would hold court every day around all the tap dancers, and it, it was just, it, it, you know, if there's anything that I would say, oh, now there is the thing that I'm glad I did because of the personal um, thing that it gave me. You know what I mean? It was just so much fun just sitting at Sammy's feet. Oh, icon. I mean, I can only imagine the stories that he must have been telling about, you know, the Rat Pack. And they'd and- all be topping each other, right? These are vaudeville guys. Right. So they knew how to think on their feet. And they were funny as hell. And they were all like, they were all, you know, it's like being in a... It's like being in a, in a room with a bunch of comedians without the excess testosterone and, and, and all, all that stuff that makes them be so competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. there was a wonderful feeling. They were older. They were all in their 60s. And it was amazing. And, and just as a little aside, every day, Sammy would come up and he'd Grab my ass. (laughs) (laughs) And he would just, he would just grab my ass and then he'd say, hey, how you doing there, bud? You got some nice physique on you, man. How you doing? (laughs) It it was not in any way flirtatious or anything like that. It, It was just the way he was. So there's about a million things that he's done. But when Max and I watch Cannonball Run, that's to me like I just I'm like I'm like he is oh him and Dean yeah oh, it, you, they, oh, to well, me a, that's like yeah. the the Farley Spade right uh, like that relationship that you knew outside of there that these guys were so chummy with each other oh and God it's interesting because I'm sure you know again we're an '80s movie podcast and it's not like you just stopped your career after these movies and took a break I know you have been performing and touring and you know just killing it and doing all these things. But then you have this incredible resurgence in 2010 when Saturday Night Live, <laughs> the, the curse with Andy that Samberg. Was the, I, that was the first time that it ever, once that happened, and it was funny because I'd be at gigs and like my friends would say, geez, did you see that thing? They're making fun of you on television. Are you upset about it? And I hadn't seen it, but then I got to see it, and I loved it. 
Oh, I just it, thought. So they didn't. No, nobody reached so out fun. to you. So nobody from SNL. I, I don't know how that works, right? If because nope. it's it's very clearly it's and it's not really making fun of you, but it's very clearly an homage to the yeah, character, to the yeah. character that you are. And I, I loved it for everything that it was. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. You 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 had the Barry Gibb talk show. Are you making fun of Barry Gibb a little bit? Yes. Do, is he one of the greatest talents in the world? Yes. Yeah, so oh, that's right. The Jimmy, the Jimmy Fallon, style, the, the Jimmy Fallon, Justin Timberlake uh, skip. Yeah, that. exactly. I totally remember that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I just think that that's what it's all about. If I had just sort of gone there and worn all black leather and you know done done the hair swinging or whatever, that I don't think it would have hit. It's the things that are wrong about it that make. <laughs> People come back. To, that's why I'm talking to you. There's yeah. nothing, nothing wrong about it at all. Well, I think it's so unique because it's positive intensity. You don't really see that from musical artists very much where yeah. it's like, like you said, Tina said, you know, you're the enforcer, but you're like the friendly, positive enforcer. Yeah. And and it, it's interesting too, Tim, because the other thing that we see a lot. So I think I may have mentioned this to you before. Uh, mm-hmm. There is... Um, a celebrity chef, his name is Graham Elliott. So he is one of the godfathers of all of those celebrity chef shows. And oh, he, he, he reached out to us because he's a huge 80s movie fan. And we, oh. became, we became friends with him. And we had him on. He was our first celebrity guest. You are our first 80s celebrity guest and overall celebrity guest. But he was our first celebrity guest. And our episode yeah. was called 80s Collector. And we talked about different items from 80s movies that we would put in our collection and he came screaming out the gate. His first number, one. his first number one item he wanted, Tim Capella's saxophone from The Lost Boys. You know what? I keep getting that so much. They people keep saying because I'm now two horns away from that one. I assume the first one's in the Sasonian. <laughs> uh, the first one, it was really simple. I came off the road. The Tonight Show. When Johnny Carson stopped doing The Tonight Show, all the guys in the band were pretty old. So they were really retiring, right? They had these fantastic pensions. They they were just going to be in fantastic shape. So they didn't really bother. You know, they were like, yeah, let's just relax. So the lead alto player sold me his tenor. So this was a saxophone that was picked handpicked by, you know, a genius. Mm -hmm. So, and that was my favorite horn and that was the one after it. So I basically just traded my horn to a friend of mine and got this one. Oh, that's wild. And so, because it was just a better horn. It was a better horn. Well, because so, again, at the time, you weren't thinking, I better hold on to this because of that <laughs> Oscar-nominated movie, The Lost Boys. <laughs> Isn't that, like, people keep asking me this now, and like, how come you didn't hold on to it? You know, it was, at the time, if you noticed that that saxophone at the neck, at the top of the horn, there's a sort of something that looks almost like a lightning bolt, a piece of metal. And that was because I used to play so hard that I would bend the saxophone. Oh, my God. As I was playing it. And so I had to get somebody to weld something 
to keep me from breaking the neck in half. Every single story that you tell is literally the best story. Like I'm sitting here thinking, he's like Thor. Like basically, like here, here's, 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 what, here's yeah. what I'm taking away from this entire interview: that Tim Capella, who one day we'll call Timmy when we meet him in person, we'll get there. Nicest guy uh-huh. in the world. Nicest guy in the world. Could have been in Lethal Weapon, Predator 2, and Point Break as Gary Busey. Break saxophones with his voice. Literally 40-inch biceps, bigger than Schwarzenegger, and has to have a reinforced metal saxophone because of what a study is. That's that's what I'm taking. And has a sense of humor about it all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really, your personality really does shine, Tim. I I love the fact that people make fun of me. It's like exactly what I want. Like that, like Michelle Wolf and these comedians have sort of latched on to me, you know, with the Saturday Night Live thing and everything that that they like making fun of me. So the guy said, have you noticed that this guy is playing tenor without a neck strap? And a guy went, neck strap? He doesn't have a neck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's kind of what I want. You know, I want to be, I want to be sort of, I don't even care if people are laughing at me. Times have changed. And this is, I think it's important to say this. Times have changed, right? Joel Schumacher, everybody knows he was gay. And so if you're, somebody who's wearing, you know, grease and not a shirt, you know, they would always say, shaking your hips around, you know, the biggest, oh, the the thing that you would say that would be the instant put down, oh, that guy's gay, right? And since like in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it just doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, it's like absolutely. nobody's going to laugh at it. And not because they're trying to hide it. Just nobody's going to laugh at it. It doesn't hold up anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a great social change. I, I totally agree. And I also think part of it, even going more specifically back to you, you have a confidence that comes across in how you perform and how you speak and how you interact. And the reality is bullies specifically target people that they're going to impact and affect the most. So for you, sure. the satirical piece of it, that you're able to laugh at it, that you're able to get on a podcast with a couple of goofballs like Max and myself and have a good time about it, I think speaks volumes in part to why if you've had they, the success you've had. There, thank you so much. Because if there was nothing to laugh at, I would really feel bad. Because it would have meant that I just was going so far down the middle of the road yeah, and looking at what other people had done and afraid to just do something that is like a little weird, like that, you know, that, that people could make fun of and people, you know, and, and to me, I'm like I said, I'm so, so ecstatic that I can talk to you guys who have a, you know, who have a, a, a website that's sort of about, you know, the irony of loving bad films or, you know, if there was no irony in it, I just, I would feel, that's when I'd feel terrible. Well, we, we couldn't be happier that you are excited about this, that you've joined us. Um, you've been beyond generous with your time and the stories that you've given us. Like I said, our fans are going to lose their minds when they, when they hear this episode. I, I have a couple 
quick questions kind of viewer submitted from a couple of our fans that we we lightly leaked that we were going to do this. We didn't want to tell a lot of people. And then mm-hmm. I and then I want to go back real quick and just give a one more shout out, one more plug to the show. But the the two questions that came up, I thought they were great questions. And it's if you got a pass on either of them, I totally understand. Although mm-hmm. I feel like you know more about 80s movies than you actually let on at first because you've been, you've been yeah, nailing I a few. Ex- I wouldn't expect too much out of me, but go ahead. No, <laughs> you told us that. You set the bar low, but we've been nothing but smiling the whole time. I'm so. stumped. I'm a little yeah, upset. Absolutely. I'm stumped. What movie out there do you wish you were in? So when you look at the landscape of these films, and whether it was a, a musician uh, who was playing a role or whether it was just a, a movie that you really liked. If, if there's a movie out there that you think Tim Capella could have done really good at, what would it have been? What movie do you wish you were casted in? I think it would only be because I liked the movie. Like I don't, I'm not an actor. So if you know, the fact that I was on Miami Vice and did a couple of other TV shows and films and had speaking parts, I just don't at all think of myself as an actor. So I would never think of it as being a feather in my cap. You know what I mean? Oh, I I could have done a good performance. I don't even, I don't think I could really do a good performance. You know what <laughs> I, I mean? I, I just, I'm just, I'd just be in there sort of remembering lines and trying my very best not to look like a total total goon but there was one thing that did happen in that i was supposed to be the main football player in beetlejuice oh my god the the ones that when they're in the underworld and all the football players got well before they were dancing they all got in that accident yeah oh my god because of the bob dylan movie because of the bob dylan movie i had committed i couldn't do it and that was a really you got a minute (laughs) Oh, we love Beetlejuice. Uh, we're, we're, when I yeah. when I read for that, Tim Burton was on the floor playing with toys, not looking at me at all. Sort of like you know, running cars, going room room room, and and knocking army men together, and oh and God. he was just playing. And obviously. It, this is his genius because who wants to have a famous director looking at them? You don't know what's going to happen. Right. So by his doing that, I got to think, oh, this is a crazy man. So this was genius. This was genius. So I did get the part. I had to really think about it because, you know, it's Tim Burton. And I, you know, but I love Bob Dylan so much. That I, I I had to do it, and it was a longer, bigger part that had more money. This was just like a couple of days' work, whereas Hearts of Fire was, you know, everybody was so excited. Bob Dylan was going to do a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you seen that movie? Oh, I have. Yeah, it's not. That's what I was saying. It's not as I understand. It's not the best movie out there, but it's not terrible. Max and I, no kidding, are are much bigger fans of much worse movies. Wow. But remember, okay. you're talking to you're talking to two, like what we do. The equivalent of what Max and I do is greasing ourselves up, and instead of holding a saxophone, we're holding VHS tapes of the crappiest movies ever made in the '80s, <laughs> and we're just screaming and saying like, "I love these movies." But but it's the same thing. Like we just we love it. We have a lot of fun. The, it's your passion. The Absolutely. most the, the nicest. I can, I can the, hear it. Yeah, I can hear it in your voices. 
Thank you. We So that's the nicest feedback that we get from people is that when they tell us we listen to your show and it really sounds like you guys are super yeah, into this. I mean, we're like, yeah. I don't know how long we've been talking, but I get the feeling we could just shoot the for like five hours. Oh, unquestionably. I mean, part of that, I, I'll attribute a lot of that to you, though. I mean, you, you have such a such a warm, inviting personality for someone who, I mean, look, you're, you're a big deal. You don't act like it, which is part of what's charming about you, but you're a big deal. And we... We're spoiled to have you on here. I have one last question, and then I'm going to kick it over to Max in case he has anything, and then we're going to do one last plug of all the great stuff you have coming up. What is your favorite vampire movie? Do you have in your head like a, a vampire movie that you like more, or do you just go with the safe answer and say, obviously, The Lost Boys is my favorite vampire movie? I've oh, okay, sorry. This is gonna, this is really bad. I've never seen the Lost Boys all the way through. Oh, Shut up. no. <laughs> oh, no. I can't stand looking at myself. I can't stand I, I can't stand watching anything I've done. So it um it 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 embarrasses me and it makes me very anxious and both my wife and I are kind of like chickens when so you're not yeah you're not into horror films yeah yeah it it, it makes you. it gives us bad both of us literally it just gives us bad dreams and then we have to stay up all night and try to forget it when we saw get out i was i was up for i was up for <laughs> days i was up for nights i couldn't it was so scary and it got under my crawl so much that I, I'd like, you know what I, you know what I ask? And I do ask people this a lot, especially at conventions where people like you are, are sort of scholars about this stuff. Okay. For somebody who's a chicken, give me one film that's not going to put me underneath the end table, but that is but I'll still enjoy and get the excitement of a horror movie. It's easy for me. It's yeah. two. It's Once Bitten with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is a teenager who turns into a vampire, and he has a dance solo to ACDC. Wait, is it ACDC on the dance floor? I forget. But he's just on the dance floor just being ridiculous. It's just a fun movie. And the other What's one's it Killer- called? Once What's Bitten. It called? Once Bitten. Once Bitten. Never heard of it. Yeah, really silly, really stupid. And also Killer- All right, we'll watch it. Oh man! Uh, this Come is, on, this is not hell, Hellraiser. No, I'm no. kidding. Not Hellraiser. That's terrifying. Uh, if you're if you're looking at the whole genre of horror films, yes, and, and not just the '80s, and you're looking for a good horror film that's also got like some good cinematographic meat to it, cinematography. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Cinematography. Cinema, cinematographic. Cinematography. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I go with Jaws. Cinnamon and <laughs> just, yeah. There you go. I I would go with Jaws, uh, and I would go with Jaws because although it's definitely oh, a horror seen film, Jaws. I love Jaws. The original Jaws. I saw me, Jaws when it came out. Oh, so good. You've seen that. That's not. It's scary, but the more importantly, I think it's just a really well-rounded movie. So I, I thought I, it was I, great. Yeah. I agree with you. I thought it was great. But Max's are good too. I absolutely. Absolutely. If you're looking for 80s horror films that won't scare you, Once Bitten and Killer Clowns from Outer Space are great picks. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I've heard of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's very, I know it's very always, goofy and silly. It won't scare you. It's goofy and silly and won't uh, won't scare you. I know. Trust me, Max is the biggest 
pee his bed, needs his binky when he goes to I've sleep. I've gotten better. Because I forced you to for the show. But if, if he gives you the recommendation, it's it's, oh, a, it's, really? a, good, it's a good one. Yeah. So, so Max, you get a little um, spooked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yet yeah. this is what you do. This is your passion is something that totally scares the hell out of you. He is hidden from. So we have, <laughs> we have for the last year focused on every genre except horror films. And finally this October we dove in and I give him credit. He has ripped through dozens of horror films. So I think he might be a little wow. desensitized and in a better place. Yeah. I would imagine, I would imagine after a while you just get used to it. It's like the first, the first toe in is the worst. Now I'm okay. Okay. Kind now you're, now you're right. cannonballing off the, you're doing the triple Lindy into the horror pool. Right. So, so um, the ones that you told me about, those would be a great way to just sort of dip in a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. That's totally, what I started with. Totally. totally. I love it. Um, Max, I love it. Max, anything for Tim before I wrap up? So the Simpsons, is Lisa Simpson a great saxophonist? Okay. Or is it insulting to the genre? Oh, wh whoever is the person that is playing that baritone yep. is a great L.A. session person. Awesome. I needed to know <laughs> yeah. that. I want oh, an expert yeah. opinion. This was keeping Max up at night. He, <laughs> he was like, I I came into the studio with that he, question. He's like, I'm either asking Kenny G <laughs> or Tim Capello, and you better just let me go. And I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, they, they the, who, or he or she has a great sound and having a great sound and great control on the baritone saxophone, which is the real big piece of plumbing, is a is not an easy thing to do. Usually people that play baritone have to specialize in baritone because it's so different than every other horn. So oh, yes, she, Lisa is a great player. <laughs> awesome. That makes me happy. Oh, dear God. <laughs> All right. Well, you just made Max's entire life. So... <laughs> Tim, I, I from the bottom of Buzz in the Tower's heart, I want to thank you again for coming on and spending some time with us. This was absolutely fantastic. We are so excited to come see you in a couple weeks at the Redford Theater, Serious Moonlight, a Bowie tribute band. You'll be joining them Friday, November 19th. Doors open at 7. The show starts at 8. If you've not bought your tickets yet, you better do it fast because after this podcast goes out, this thing will be sold out in five seconds. Because if we've oh, got one you. thing, we got Michigan fans everywhere. And do you have a lot of fans in different places? Do you think I could just sort of run down a little bit of, um, I mean, they'll all be on my Oh yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Page. Go through your touring, please. Absolutely. We have, we have, we have fans in Ireland. We are blown away by oh, the great. people that reach out to us. So if, wherever you're going, let them know, Tim. On Wednesday, November 10th, I'm at the Skylark in Charlotte. North Carolina. Friday the 12th, I'm at Baxter's Speakeasy in Akron. The Wednesday the 17th, I'm at Buzzbin in Canton, Ohio. Then, of course, the 19th is the Redford Theater. Um, and then the next night, I'm in Detroit at PJ's Lager House. Then on the 24th, which is a Wednesday, I'm at the Five Spot in Nashville. Then on the 26th, I'm in Mobile, Alabama at the Merry Widow, and that'll do it. 
I am happy to hear that you are still performing, that you're, I don't go out very much. I, uh, I got, never, I, I, I never very, go out. Th- this might be in my world, uh, uh, just a, a pivot. This might be a fork in the road moment where I start reentering <laughs> society again. So Max and I, Max is bringing his girlfriend and we're going to come see you at the Redford theater, Tim Capella, famous musician, but most important, well, second, most important, second, most important, the lost boys, most important, New friend to Mo and Max and Buzz in the Tower. Thank you so much for coming on. And Tim, anything you want to end on? Any kind of final thoughts or notes you want to throw out to the people? Just that it has been like a total gas talking with you guys. It was really fun. I just felt like we were sort of sitting around a table in a club somewhere. And uh, I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Okay. Take care, guys. And that wraps up our first 80 celebrity interview. Quick reminder to our fans and friends, subscribe, rate, review, follow us on social media. Check us out on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And uh, don't forget Apple Podcasts, leave reviews, leave stars, Spotify, follow us. Uh, All the support you give us is what keeps us going. We appreciate it. And we will see you all next week. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.